I want to read off to you uh, some prayers that children hand wrote to send to God. You ready? Maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother today. <laughs> uh, God, if you watch me on Sunday, you'll get to see my new shoes. That one was cute. Um, <laughs> this one's funny. I, that means you have to laugh after this one. I bet it's very hard to love everyone in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I'm having a hard time loving all of them. <laughs> see, that one's funny. Is it true that my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? Uh, who draws the lines around the countries, one of them said. Uh, this is a good one. Please send me a pony. Uh, I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. That's what he said. I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not so much hair all over. Um, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Oh, that's cute. We read today in school that Thomas Edison made the light, but in Sunday school they said that you did it. I bet he stole your idea. Can you please give my brother some brains? He doesn't have any. <laughs> um, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the weatherman. This is my favorite. Please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. Uh, some cute prayers from children written to God, but uh, let me ask you this question. What, what do your prayers look like? What, what do they sound like? How often do you pray? Do you pray at all? How long are your prayers? Does it even matter? How, how short are your prayers? Um, are your prayers stale? Routine? Are your prayers filled with confidence? Are they filled with doubt? Prayer, as routine as it may seem for church or as routine as it may seem for, for someone who calls themselves a, a Christian, prayer can seem very complicated. Uh, maybe for you, prayer is intimidating and, and maybe even confusing. Over the next few weeks, um, we are going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer, maybe in a way you've not been familiar with before. We're going to call prayer our fighting words. You might have heard someone say, ooh, those are fighting words. Yes, they are. And we're going to use prayer as our fighting words. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're new to church, this might seem odd to you. But there's always a battle always, even right now, going on for your life. Even if you're like, hey, I'm going to back out. You ever start a fight and then you're like, no, 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 I'm good. Never mind. Uh, I have not because I just don't start fights because <laughs> um, I would walk away from all of them just like that. No, I'm not. Oh, so you're physically going to hit me? No, I'm good, dude. I'm good. Never mind. I thought we were just going to talk trash. Um, you can't back out of this. I mean, as scary or as like childish as what I'm about to say may seem, Satan is after you. And I hate that. I hate that for you. I, I hate that for me. I hate that for my family. But the truth is, if we're going to get into this battle, we need some kind, of, some kind of weapon. And so we, as a church and as Scripture says, we're going to use prayer as our, as our fighting words. 
If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out right now. Um, you can find uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you flip your hand up real quick and Rachel will bring you one. We want you to have that. Uh, that is your Bible, a, a gift from us to you. Um, yeah, there's a couple here, one over there. Uh, Rachel, I think there's one in the back. Um, and so uh, we want you to have that, that Bible. Look, write in it, highlight in it. We do not want it back. That's your, your Bible. Uh, study it. Uh, if you just have your phone, uh, the Restore Church app, you just click Bible, and then you can, it'll take you to the U version, and you can uh, search for Matthew, uh, or you can use uh, any Bible app you choose. Uh, all the scripture today is going to be on the screens, uh, but we say this pretty regularly. If, if you want to grow closer to God, you need to be in his word. Okay, So you can't take the screens home. But you can use uh, your tablet, your phone, or, or your Bible. Uh, at Restore Church, we use the Bible as our authority and where we get all of our teachings from. And so, uh, if you're ready to pick up reading with me, oh, I ate three muffins, like one of those mini muffins back there, and they're so good. <clears throat> Don't do that before you have to talk in front of people. It's not a great idea. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. And when you pray, let, let's pause. The whole sermon is not going to be like this. We're not going to pause every comma, but you should when you're reading because that's why they're there. When you pray, Jesus says. Now, now Matthew chapter 6 is, is written, uh, it, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. The longest sermon we have recorded of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of it. And what it says is the disciples gathered around Jesus. Jesus got his disciples together and began to teach them. So the Sermon on the Mount was intended for people who want to follow Jesus with their whole life. We call, the Bible calls them disciples. Here at Restore Church, we call them Christ followers. So if you're a Christ follower, pay attention to the words in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. That's why Jesus is teaching them. Now, as Jesus starts to teach his, his disciples, a crowd gathers around to listen. So here we find ourselves in chapter 6. And, and he, uh, in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, it's not an if you pray. For a disciple of Jesus, prayer is not an if, it's a when. And for a disciple of Jesus, we, we don't have daily prayer lives. We have dedicated prayer lives. Praying once every day is just not enough. And, and you'll see why. There's not a quota to, to reach. Uh, but as we preach the sermon, you, you'll see what I mean. So when you pray, do not uh, be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, um, I, I want to, we live in like the most cynical uh, age ever, right? Everybody is cynical. And so I, I want to step aside and, and like, uh, put all the cynics at ease. What Jesus is not condemning is, is, like, we're allowed to stand up here and pray. Okay? Jesus is not talking about, like, like Dory has prayed, Michael has prayed, I'm going to pray at some point. And Jesus is not saying, don't stand up and pray. 
Jesus condemning a hypocritical attitude for prayer, um, a motive that I pray so you can see and hear me. So when Jesus says, go home and, and close, go into your room and then go into the closet and close the door, I mean, if that's what works for you, that's what works for you. Jesus is really just trying to promote an, an intimate and private prayer life with God. And so he's not condemning, like, matter of fact, in Acts, it says when they got together, they, they prayed regularly. Jesus has this teaching going on, and we get a little glimpse of the conversation in Luke. So Luke and Matthew tell the same story. And in Luke chapter 11, you, you don't need to flip there. It's just one verse I want to show you. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as, G just as John uh, taught his disciples. Now, what we're going to do is remove ourselves from the 21st century world that we live in, and we're going to place ourselves in the 1st century world and try to hear uh, Jesus' teachings the way the disciples would have. The disciples come to Jesus and say, they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, to this point, all the disciples knew of prayer was what they learned in their Hebrew school for the first, I don't know, like for, for five years at a time. They were rehearsed prayers. They were recited prayers. Maybe you come from a, a Christian background or a church background where, where you had to memorize them as a child or, or you have a book of them. Another type of prayers that they knew were, were the prayers of the religious elite that, that they weren't allowed to say, but they were said on their behalf. So, so the priests would pray for their forgiveness. They would offer sacrifices for, for the Jewish people. But with Jesus, it was just different. I mean, the way he prayed was different. The way he talked to God was different. The way he thought about God was different. Have you ever been in a room, uh, maybe of Christians or, or life group or someone, something, and someone starts to pray, and you're like, Whoa. Where did you learn to pray like that? Or like, how did you, I don't even know the words you were saying. You know, uh, you've ever been in a room with someone that's praying and it's like, is that a different language that you're speaking? But you've been in rooms where people are like, oh man, dude, I, I want to learn to pray like you. Um, I, I've been a part of those meetings where it's like, it's like, man, I, I don't want you to stop praying. For the disciples, it was like that. I mean, when Jesus would talk to God, it wasn't rehearsed. It was like real. And Jesus would ask God, God, to, to show up, and then he would perform a miracle. And the disciples never knew anything like that. He, he would ask, uh, Jesus would ask God for, for daily needs, like fish and bread. Jesus would ask God for uh, he would call God his, his father. Whoa. For Jesus, there was a relationship. You've heard that word before, and, and here you've heard that word before when we talk about God. Like, we want you to have a relationship with God. At the end of every service, we encourage you to begin a relationship with Jesus or, or to, to continue your relationship with Jesus. It's, it's become normal uh, uh, normal like vernacular for us to just throw the word relationship out. Every story we say we would have we would rather have relationship over religion. 
I mean, and we really do. We desire to have a relationship with God. But listen, to the first century Jews, to the first century Christians, relationship with God was a foreign idea. A personal relationship, one-on-one, was not something that a fisherman could have or a tax collector could pursue. Jews had this, this thought of God, this idea of God that they wouldn't even speak his name. They wouldn't even write it. I mean, think about this. For the Jewish people and the relationship that they have with God, it's different. I mean, this is the God who spoke everything into existence. He didn't use tools, and he didn't use materials. He just spoke. That's powerful, powerful God. I mean, the Jews, they come from the people that were enslaved by Pharaoh, and God used his power to lead them out through Moses. This is the same Jewish people that walked to the Red Sea, and Moses sticks his staff in the water, and God splits it. To have a relationship with with that God is like not even possible. It was kind of like unbelievable that that could happen. Now, uh, a lot of you don't know this about me, but I'm a pretty big Clemson football fan. Um, So the secret's out. And uh, their coach, uh, his name is Dabo Sweeney, and he's like, the next best thing to Jesus? Is that sacrilegious? No, it's not. I'm asking questions I already know the answer to. Um, Yeah, like, I look up to him. He's a a beacon of Christian light, uh, and this is non-exaggeration in in the sports world. I mean, people admire him, and so this is what it would be like. It would be... This, this disciples and relationship with God, it would be like you saying, hey, Roger, here's Dabo Sweeney. Now, I already have my speech prepared. Okay, so if any of y'all are working that out, don't worry, I'll be ready. It would be like, Roger, here's Dabo Sweeney. I'd shake his hand out and I would start, dear Dabo. <laughs> and, uh, and then it would be like, oh, no, 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 this isn't it. Now you got to have a relationship with him. Um... Okay, what do I say next? Uh, what's your favorite color? Where are you from? It's pressure. Now imagine the disciples and trying to have a relationship with a God that has been for their whole life not even speakable. And so when they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. This is not a step in a discipleship handbook of how to follow Jesus better. This is a flipping upside down of their whole Jewishness. Like, with this question, they're abandoning everything that they knew about about Jewish religion when they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. This development, it's a desire And we're going to talk about this in upcoming weeks, but do you desire even to speak with God? Next week, we're going to to ask the question, what happens when you don't want to? I mean, the answer to your question might be, I I don't have a desire to speak with God. 
And for a Christ follower, though, that, that's something that, that we have to get, dig deep for. We all know that relationships are, are built on communication. And so if communication is such a huge role for relationships, how's yours with God? Maybe it's awesome. Maybe it's not. Hey, maybe you're just at the beginning. You're like, hey, I don't know anything about prayer, but it sounds pretty cool. Maybe you're a solid prayer warrior. And you go to battle for people in this congregation constantly. Either way, this morning, just like the disciples who who had a shift in their thinking, we're going to look at this familiar passage, but we're going to do it with first century eyes. Y'all didn't hear that? Nice. I burped in the microphone, and it surprised me. (laughs) Do not eat muffins right before you preach. All right, Matthew chapter... Uh, 6 verse 9. I'm teaching all kinds of lessons. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Now, you might know this passage. Uh, I learned it from the King James Version. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you heard this before? Do you remember the first place? Also, uh, we call this the model prayer. The model prayer. Not the Lord's prayer. The model prayer. If you want to read the Lord's prayer, it's in John 17. This is the model prayer. And so Jesus modeling, teaching us how to pray. Well, where's the first time you heard it? Maybe it was at church. Maybe it was uh, at school. Or in, uh, maybe you were just at home studying the Bible and you were just fiercely reading through Matthew and you got to the model prayer. For me, it was in youth football. Now, I grew up in church, uh, even though I really didn't like it all that much. I grew up in church and... Uh, but I was a little bit late to playing football. I was like 10. But all my friends had been playing together for years, right? And so I joined the Erlanger Lions football team. And we all, before the game, we all take a knee and we're all around. And I'm like, what is happening? And then they start this chant. I'm like, what are you all doing? This is weird. And so then I just start to like, the heaven. You know, like you're just trying to make it up. And then at the end they said, Amen. And I was like, oh, shoot, we just prayed. (laughs) Y'all, we just prayed. And I was really confused because the language of amen and the language that my coaches normally used, they didn't really go well together. Uh, It was weird. So let's look at this. What did Jesus mean when he said it? Well, um, verse 9. Let's go through this verse by verse. We'll go quickly, I promise. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing Jesus teaches us is perspective. Now, um, I, I want to tell you, I, I thought I had my mind wrapped around this, this passage. And, and so um, I did. Like, I, had it, I have it written on my whiteboard in the way that I was going to teach this. And then I heard a podcast on Saturday. And, and N.T. Wright, if, if you love studying. Uh, you got to listen to this guy named N.T. Wright. He's called Our Generation C.S. Lewis, and that is not an understatement. Read his stuff. Simply Christian will change your life. But I heard him start to talk about the New Testament, and man, it is so good. Um, and he starts to talk about 
this passage in the podcast. And I was like, great, thanks. Why couldn't I have listened to this on Monday? Now i got to rewrite a sermon. And it is so much better than what I had. The one before was incomplete. It was completed, but the teaching was incomplete. So listen to this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus teaches his disciples perspective. The word hallowed or hallowed, however you want to say it, means holy, set apart, distinct. And if you look closely at the passage, what is holy and set apart and distinct? It's God's name. The one that Jews didn't speak about. But, but really it was his reputation, his glory, his fame. God, our Father in heaven, he set apart. Now, if the disciples knew anything already about prayer, it was this. It was that beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was highly esteemed reverence when it comes to praying. I mean, right, they grew up knowing that you can't even write down the word God or, or sneeze the word God or say God bless you, right? It, it was this thing about you didn't approach him. And so already, like tiptoeing into the waters of prayer, there's some like trepidation about this. But man, that, that does not describe the way that the American church uh, prays or, or sees God. There have been times in my life that you could have described my prayer life as, as a drive through Like, you pull up to the window, and then I yell back, I want a bleep, bleep, bleep. Those aren't, I, I want a whatever, number seven and a number two, because they both look good at the time. I'll just eat the other one tomorrow. And, and then you pull up, you pay, you pull up to the next window, you get your food, and you're out. And sometimes that has described my prayer life. I drive up, put in my order. Say my words, get what I want, I'll be back the next time I need something. But that's not how the disciples would have thought about prayer. It's not how Jesus thought about prayer. I went to Bible college, um, from, I, w- I went to Bible college, and uh, um, the professors would, would often come in. I mean, they're overworked, and uh, they're, they're teaching like three more classes after that, or maybe they just came from a class, and they would walk in, and, and they would put their... Um, their, their papers down on the desk, and because it was a Bible college, that we just had to pray for class. And so the professor would be like, all right, guys, let, let's pray, and then we'll get started. And, and so then uh, we would pray and, and then get started. But I had one professor, uh, his name was uh, Mr. Griffin, and, and he would walk in, and he would set his, all his stuff down, and he would walk, walk around, and everyone knew, he would say, all right, class, let's pray. And it was about as silent as it just was. And it wouldn't be uncommon to look up and see Professor Griffin just weeping. Because one thing he knew was that the one he was about to talk to was not taking a drive-through order, but yet he was desiring to hear from us. One thing that Mr. Griffin knew was the perspective of who we are and who God is. And the disciples, they knew this. But let's flip the script for a minute and just say, this is a lesson you and I could learn. Especially in a church style like ours. God is still holy. God is still set apart. 
And although we try to have a relaxed feel about church, God has not changed. And so we need to set apart his name. In the same way that if your spouse needed to talk to you about something important, you would put your phone down, you would silence your iPad, you would you'd turn off the TV, and you would make sure that, that you paid attention. Man, we need to have that desire of talking to God. Now, I don't, I don't want to say that God doesn't want your quick prayers. He, he certainly does. But if your relationship, any relationship is built on short communication, there is no depth to it. So if your relationship with God is built on quick prayers three times a day before meals, there's no depth to your relationship with God. And so it takes effort and takes time. Jesus taught the disciples about God's plan. Now, th this is it. This is good. If you're going to listen for any part of the sermon, do it now. You can tune me out when I'm done. Uh, at the end, not like after this part, but if you're going to wake up, this is the time to do it. Um, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. Recently, I've been ending my prayers with in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. A lot of you have heard me pray like that at the end of services or even in our life group. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because this is the whole reason me and my family moved to Jacksonville. Is to see, Jacksonville changed because of the gospel of Jesus. Now, this is what I want to say to you as my friends. We chose to live here. We are the worst people to complain about Jacksonville too. Do not complain about Jacksonville to us. We love it here. And I'll tell everyone regularly, Jacksonville is the greatest city in the world. But you got to make it that. So if you choose for it to be the greatest city in the world, it, it will be. But um, if you uh, complain about Jacksonville, I will listen. Uh, but the next, I'll listen. I'll just say that. And then my response will be like, but Jacksonville is the greatest city in the world. So go make it that way. We love Jacksonville. And, and we want to see heaven here. In our life group uh, this past week, um, you ever had to teach something or, or lead something? You get kind of amped up, you, you read about it, like you study about it. And we're going through the, uh, Psalm 23, and so I was like fired up. We, we led it. And then when it's over, it's like big sigh of relief, right? You're like, okay, cool. And, um, and I'm extroverted, so there's people in my house, so I'm like got the relief of teaching. And then I'm extroverted, so I'm like, ah, 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 ah. let's hang out all night long. And um, so I'm back here, like, helping the kids clean up, also playing a little bit, but helping them clean up. And then one of the people in our life group, she, she comes up and she asks me, what do you mean by in Jacksonville as it is in heaven? And I'm like, Bible study's over. Why are you asking me questions I didn't prepare for? I'm not ready for this. Um, I didn't say that. But uh, the first service laughed at that. Thanks. Well, it's true, though. She did ask me, and, and I didn't really have a great answer because I was just caught off guard. But I think I've got it now. And I think it comes from the words that Jesus says. N.T. Wright asked this question, and, man, it rocked me. It stunned me. He, he, gives, he says this in that podcast I was saying about. He says, when Jesus prayed, he asked God's kingdom to come, which in and of itself means that God is the king. 
when the Jews went to the synagogue, they didn't go to learn about God. They didn't go as an exercise of religious routine. N.T. Wright said that they, they went because that's where God was. They went to have an encounter with God. They went to meet God and meet with God. And so when Jews went to, to the synagogue or went to synagogue, they were experiencing heaven, the presence of God. And then he asked this question. What would it look like if God were the king of your city? And I was like, that's it. I text our staff that. I said, if God were the king of Jacksonville, what, what, would, what would change? And the, and the text messages, man, that they just came back with passion and fire. And so let me ask you, if, if God were the king of, of Jacksonville, what, what would change? Would it be the rate of homelessness? What, what would change? Would it be the, um, uh, the alarming suicide rate that everyone has just kind of muted in the background as if it doesn't happen anymore? It's not that we don't care. It's just too often. We don't have time to grieve the individual losses because it's just another one and another one and another one. And so what would change if, if God were the king of Jacksonville? The, would it be the way people treat each other? Would it be the, the uh, I, I don't know, fill in the blank. Because here's the kicker. The verse says that, uh, the verse says your kingdom come. So we're inviting God's kingdom here in Jacksonville. And then your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know what God's will is? You just answered the question. But how will his kingdom come? His kingdom workers will do his will to make it in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. We are God's plan for his kingdom to be here. There's not a plan B. And so if you pray this prayer, you've got to mean this or skip it. If you want God's kingdom to come and you want his will to be done, then you've got to mean it. So if you were able to answer the question of, of what would change if God were the king, then you know what God's will would be. It's for you to change it so that God's kingdom can come to Jacksonville. The rest of the prayer tells us how we can trust the king of the kingdom. Jesus teaches us to pray for provision. Uh, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. We don't have a, 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 like a tyrant as our king. We don't have a vengeful king. We have a king that wants to provide for the people in his kingdom. That, that's us. So ask him. Ask God to provide for you. Um, one of the things I, I've had to learn is that for our God, listen, there's nothing too big. Uh, there's, there's nothing that you can't ask for that he can't demonstrate or, or flex on to show off. But the one thing I had, to, or one of the things I've had to learn about God is that there's also nothing too small. Those are the ones we hold back. We'll let the big ones fly because, really, there's no one else who can handle them. But, but the little small ones, we're like, hey, I'll, I'll take care of that. 
No, God wants to provide for you. He's a king that's involved and has, has his hands and he, he's watching you live your life. And as the verse is said right before this, he already knows what you need before you ask. But it's like a, it's like a father watching his son do something that, that he, can, he can help with. And his son grows, grows frustrated, grows frustrated, grows frustrated. And then I know what he needs before he asks. But when he turns around and says, Dad, can you help me? There's just something meaningful about that. Where do you need God to provide for you, big or small? Jesus teaches us about the price, the price of the kingdom. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hey, I, I just noticed something that I, I didn't notice before. And so um, forgive us our debts as we also have Forgiven, you can almost already say, have already forgiven. It is assumed that the Christ follower forgives, as we have, as we also have forgiven given our debtors. It's it's implied by Jesus that the Christ follower is a forgiver. There's a price for our sin. Jesus calls them our debts. And he says in this teaching mode of the Christ follower, if you're gonna be a, if you're gonna pursue me, then praying for forgiveness is like essential, right? Now for the disciples, this is mind blowing because they didn't do that. The priest did that. They confessed their sins to this, this guy, but, but they didn't do it to God. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. You have access to God to ask for forgiveness. And, and it's because of Jesus. I mean, we're going to find it. If you were to go home and finish reading Matthew, you're going to find that, that the debt of our sin is, is Jesus, or the price for our sin is Jesus' life. But what, also, what we also learn is that the price of forgiveness is that we have to forgive others. In the kingdom, forgiveness is, is something that's assumed. It's something we need to extend more regularly. We need to extend it in our, in our families and, and in our marriages. We need to extend forgiveness in our workplaces. And we need to extend forgiveness across the white chairs and, and the blue chairs. But forgiveness is something that happens regularly inside of God's kingdom. Do you need to ask for forgiveness from God? We all do. We are, we're all sinners. No one person in here is, is better than the rest. We're all kind of equal on an equal playing field as far as sin goes. So the answer is yes. We, we all need to ask God to forgiveness the, the way that Jesus teaches. Do you need strength to forgive someone else? We all do. And I, I'm so glad that I've been forgiven of my sin. But my prayer for me and for you is that we have the power from God to forgive others. Last thing Jesus teaches us is for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us uh, from the evil one. There are, um, there are for, for every kingdom, 
there are two potential enemies. Every other kingdom. And then the other potential enemy is an uprising among the kingdom to dethrone the king. Okay? And so he prays for protection from the, from the other kingdom, the evil one. Or the King James Version says, protects from evil. Right? So, so Jesus has us in this model prayer asking us to pray for protection, that, that God will protect us from Satan, keep us away from evil, keep us as pure as we can so that we can approach this holy, uh, hallowed name. But then he also asks to protect us from the uprising. Lead us not into temptation. Keep, keep us from ourselves. James tells us that we're only tempted when, when our evil desires drag us away, right? Protect me from, from me. Lord, we, God, we don't want to overthrow you as king. Help us and protect us from Satan. If you can put your first century glasses back on for a second and think about the disciples and, and their life, the life they left, and now they're following Jesus, and he has shaped and transformed their whole life. Their whole life they've been taught about God in, a, in, in this way. And now Jesus is changing it with the matter of one question. Jesus, teach us how to pray. They could communicate with God now. They, they could communicate with the creator, the sea splitter, the, the bondage freer, now the, the hollow, the, the, the person set apart, they, they can talk to him now. They have access to the king. Now, now this is what's life-changing for the disciple, and it should be life-changing for us, is the king of the kingdom wanted to use these disciples as his primary plan. And he wants to use us Christ followers as his primary plan to bring his kingdom to earth. And then the king would provide for us. He, he would pay whatever price he needed for the people in his kingdom. And he will protect the people in his kingdom if they ask. But there's one part of this prayer that the disciples would not have missed, but that we skipped over on purpose to come back at the end for dramatic effect. Okay, we, we did that. But the disciples would have hung on to this one thing. They might not have listened to anything else in the prayer. Remember how they thought about God? And then the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, man, there's something different about you. Can you help us pray? Teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus say? Our Father. Not my father, but our father. The king of the kingdom, the powerful king, the hallowed king, the set-apart king, the protector, the provider, the plan giver. That's your father. That's, that's our 
Father, which means what? That we are his children. Son, you are God's child. Daughter, you belong to the king. And that matters. Here's why it matters. Because we have a good king. We have a king that wants your best interest at heart. Even if it means that your life sucks right now. It might mean that it's good. We have a God who, we have a king who's also our father who's going to pursue you like crazy. He's going to be faithful to you even when you choose not to be. We have a king who would spend it all to pursue you. Son, you are his child. Daughter, you, you are the daughter of the king.